Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. It's Iron Radio. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. I am an exercise physiologist and a nutritionist, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, it's Dr. Mike T. Nelson, the owner of Extreme Human Performance, faculty member at the Kerrig Institute, creator of the Flex Diet, and also teaching this quarter at Rocky Mountain University. Cool. What's on yeah. tap? Are you doing nutrition or ex-phys or both? I'm actually doing a class on, it's a 600 level class on sports technology. Hmm. So we're talking about everything from video capture to <clears throat> HRV to athlete uh, monitoring systems. And oh. yeah, it should be really fun. I'm pretty excited. I got to rework a lot of the, the syllabus and update it since the last time was taught was about three years ago. So yeah, I mean, it's going to be fun. Mm, that's fascinating. I'll tell you, we had, um, if people, listeners, if you're interested, we had MC Powers on. She was one of my yeah. uh, superstar students years ago. She was in strength and conditioning for the longest time, uh, actually just took a hospital post. But oh. she was talking about how monitoring is changing collegiate athletics so you can oh, yeah. pan back and look at some of that and obviously pro sports you know every helmet every jock strap has a sensor in it so yeah interesting though cool yeah and i just spent a crap load of money on a three moxie sensor setup so we can look at actually muscle oxygenation levels now so i'm pretty excited to play with that this coming week that's one of the things I think we discussed several weeks ago i wouldn't have thought there'd be much to that but i'm starting to think maybe there is um, yeah, it's much more than I thought, and it kind of makes you, in a short version, rethink a lot of stuff, because, again, like, when I looked at the crossover effect, yeah, using carbs, using fat, yeah, it's definitely true, we sometimes forget that that was created out of a bunch of averages, and there's a lot of play in terms of this athlete may be on this end, this athlete may be on that end, uh, it appears muscle oxygenation is, is very much the same way. You know, some can saturate real well, some can desaturate real well, others, meh, Maybe saturate good, desat not so good. So yeah, it just pulls in so many questions for me, like occlusion training, or yep. you know, or like we've talked about in the past, we've had that back and forth behind the scenes with one of the listeners about anaerobic metabolism. You right, yeah. like like a lot of what we used to say about anaerobic glycolysis. So listeners think like high rep sets, middle distance sprints. You know, people used to say lactic acid a lot, and now yeah, we try to work. right try not to say that too much and. But then if you look at a lot of the newer data, you know, even when you run glycolysis and you rely on carbs really hard in, in intense mid-distance or high-rep kinds of stuff, it's not so much anaerobic and it's not the lack of cellular oxygen that's making that happen. So we try not to say anaerobic systems. We say fast glycolysis, you know, and all that. So a lot of that stuff, I want to see how this new oxygenation stuff sort of meshes with that, right? Because my understanding was at least until I've been literally until 2017 was that no oxygen, the partial pressures of oxygen are, are pretty solid, frankly, almost regardless from a metabolic perspective. But I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. Yeah. I think they're a lot more variable than we realize. And I think a lot of it starts with oxygen, so to speak. And yeah, I don't know. That's my, my theory right now, which is also the reason why I'm doing a lot more aerobic based stuff. Because my desaturation was not as low as I probably wanted, right? So if it's like if you had to hire a, a moving truck and you had to move a whole bunch of people in one day, the truck shows up at your house and it's empty, so you can fit all your crap on there. But then you go to the next place and you only take 70% of it off, and then you got to go move somebody else, right? You want to put as much on the truck as you can, get the biggest truck possible, and then take as much of it off as you can each time. And I'm not really taking off as much oxygen as I could for the intensity. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'll tell you what. Uh, Phil just texted me, so let's add him to the call. Just a moment. Perfect. All right, we got Phil on. Phil, my man. He's alive. Yeah, I'm alive. Sorry, that's it's me. I, I'm back from the, uh, the wilderness, so we were gone for a week. 
Sweet. Hiking and eating is all I did while I'm sleeping. Nice. It was, yeah, it was amazing. I slept like eight to nine hours a night, but then took like two to three hour naps. It was great. Oh, I needed woo. it. <laughs> yeah, rejuvenate. Do you human again? I do. I do. So. All right. What's good. up? What are we talking about, guys? All right. Well, um, we are just going to come up on a question. We are just kind of geeking out about some <laughs> anaerobic glycolysis stuff. So it's good that you're here <laughs> to pull us back in. Um, we have a question before we get to some of the housekeeping stuff and our topic of the day. By the way, listeners, our topic is going to be testosterone replacement therapy. We threatened to talk about this before, so we're going to. I mean, Phil's just rolling back in from the from the boonies, and so we're going to hold off our plans and predictions episode until next time. Uh, but for th- this week, after the break, we're going to talk about testosterone replacement therapy, um, androgel and whatnot. But the question, Phil, is it's really almost straight for you. Uh, the listener says, Matthew says, I'm freaking out a bit. The doctor says I need a hip replacement. Now my job is physically demanding. I work construction. Um, can I get back to something that physical with a fake hip and can powerlifting help? I have not really powerlifted much before. Hmm. All right, Phil, you're, I mean, where would this guy start? Can he get back? I mean, obviously with what you do. With a uh, fake hip or Eddie Cohn, I mean, I thought this is perfect for Phil. Yeah, I think he can. Uh, um, God, they're amazing now. I mean, they had me walking pretty much once the anesthesia wore off. Uh, <laughs> once I wasn't loopy. They were like, <laughs> you know, is your head okay? We're going to stand you up. And then, yeah, I mean, I was walking, of course, with assistance. They give you a walker. I think that's more out of, well, that's for two reasons, for me at least. It's for safety. They don't want you falling down in case you are still loopy. Um, and you might walk a little different. But uh, it's like I was instructed to use one to learn a natural stride again. Mm. Like if you go back to just walking, you're probably going to go back to that old way. Yep. So my goal was to make sure my foot was turned the right way um, and walk normal. So you'd take your time with a walker. But, um, yeah, and then after that, I mean, it was amazingly fast that I was back doing stuff. Uh, back like deadlifting and squatting and stuff. And I, it's like I know Eddie Cohn just got his second one done, and he's deadlifting again. And like with anything, he's he's his strength is there to do more, but it's relearning that new. You have a new body, kind of. So he's starting light. Uh, light for him is like three sixty five, um, <laughs> right? And doing lots of reps really slow and just moving correctly. You know, and you're trying to learn those new motor patterns and things like that. But I think he could. I know the only thing I was instructed not to do was really high-impact stuff on the hip itself, like jumping and running. So as long as he doesn't have to jump and run at his job, I mean, I don't see where climbing up a ladder, climbing down a ladder, standing there, hammering and things, carrying things. Like the loading of the joint, from what I have heard, is not an issue. It can handle it. It's just pounding stuff. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, I think he could be back to it in a very short amount of time. Um, I mean, especially... Well, like it took me time to get back to 650 on a squat, but I mean that was just getting strength back. <laughs> you know? no, he right. doesn't have to do. I don't see him carrying 650 pounds. Right so. now, didn't you have some contraindication about squatting real deep at least at first? Because so, there was some risk of something popping out or. Uh... Oh, at first, yeah, because basically, they uh, they loosen everything up. They basically they cut through everything to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So all that structure that holds the hip in place all the muscular muscles and tendons and are kind of loosened up so you want that all to tighten back up uh before you go in there and okay like i'm not supposed to go and i'm thinking about doing it but uh (laughs) like downhill skiing he's like what's gonna pop he said a regular activity and stuff is not gonna play he said what we're looking at now is like a traumatic injury Mm, like downhill skiing and you just you know you do a yard sale and hit something and Mm. it's some big impact that'll pop it out of there all right. Yeah. Um, once everything's tightened back up, say, yeah, you want to tighten those tissues back up because I know they had to do a pretty. He was telling me I was initially supposed to have like a two inch incision. But uh, when he got done, he's like, you're not the average 70 year old. You had a lot of stuff in there. So I have a quite a bit bigger incision. Oh, that's interesting. They had to get through more muscle and things like that than they're used to. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Uh, okay. to get it in place. But I think, yeah, I, I don't know why he couldn't. I know a lot of people with him now, and they're pretty highly active. Um, okay. Now, as long, as long as he doesn't have to jump and stuff, I think he'd be fine. 
What about the the powerlifting aspect? I mean, someone who's done a little bit of strength training, because here's, I guess, my my only concern would be when you talk about yourself or Eddie Cohn, you guys have been lifting forever. And, you know, Fortress used to talk about how we underappreciate, like, all the soft tissue, the fascia, the tendon strength, all the stuff that you sort of build up over the years and how quickly you could kind of lean on those compensatory systems during the rehab. And, you know, you can rebuild very quickly. Um, I... Obviously, you're not. You're talking about Eddie, you know, doing like reps with 365 as lightweight. Yeah. Um, this guy might not have some of these structures in place, right? Like you were saying, how much they had to cut through just to get down in there and replace yes. it. Um, yeah. Where would he start if he's interested in like barbell work or or resistance training? Again, just opinion. I know we're, we're not physical therapists. We're not trying yeah. to be here, but um, if he came into your gym and said the physical therapist says I'm cleared to do some resistance training, uh, and I. I kind of want to use a powerlifting flavor to do this. Mm-hmm. Like, where might he even begin? Well, I definitely don't think it hurt. I mean, because powerlifting in and of itself, at least two of the lifts are very hip dominant. Um, mm-hmm. The squat and the deadlift. I'd just start him super light, but I'd start him like kind of like I do anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. I start everybody else with no bar. <laughs> mm-hmm. If we're squatting, we're gonna we're gonna make sure he knows how to do it correctly. And for him, like we probably wouldn't spend. I wouldn't worry about going. Anything, anything below parallel, most likely. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we'd go to a box first and just learn that first. I don't. I, I think it could help. I mean, he probably isn't going to bounce back as fast as we did, just because we have all that muscle in place. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't see it not helping. I mean, all the physical therapists I know now, there's been a change in that world, to where they were very hands off, and now it's very, they're very aggressive with recovery now. Like we're going to get yeah. you walking, we're going to get you moving, you know, and they want. They kind of love the squats and deadlifts and big moves like that just to get you moving again. Um, so Okay. No? Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, that was, again, my concern would, would be that we're talking about population specificity. I mean, let's yes. face it. If he's worked physical jobs in construction, it's not like we're taking a total noob and this guy's yes. just a, a marshmallow, you know, either. Mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, I have a just a handful of... Um, housekeeping type things here. But before we even get to that, uh, Mike and I were just about to talk about uh, some news. And one of the things that we were looking at before we hit the record button was uh, it it sort of addresses a question that we had a few weeks ago about meta-analyses. We had a little episode about what evidence is. And um, Harvard, the Harvard School of Public Health actually had a great article this past fall about meta-analyses in nutrition research Uh, and whether or not they're sources of insight or confusion. Strength and Muscle Sport News. Uh, Maybe I'll put the link up on our uh, Facebook page, listeners page. But uh, essentially, this is partly educational, but it really echoes a lot of our concerns. It says nutrition is a complex field, uh, regularly cursed with provocative media headlines uh, and and oversimplified summaries. I mean, we know that. That's kind of what we were saying. but it says if you look past the headlines, you could see that the source of a lot of the evidence is a meta-analysis or a study of other studies. And again, the Harvard folks say at best a meta-analysis can be a useful summary of large pools of high-quality studies when very similar groups of people are used, right? Uh, again, s- the selection of studies. Instead of selecting individual subjects, you're selecting which studies meet your inclusion criteria. So it says, at worst, they can be a mishmash of findings from studies that differ significantly, essentially comparing apples with oranges that offer meaningless or even misleading uh, conclusions. So, um, and again, when you look at the evidence hierarchy or an evidence pyramid, oftentimes uh, a meta-analysis or systematic reviews are actually at the top of the pyramid. We were cautioning people that you have to be careful because if you get – a journalist or even a scientist who hasn't actually collected a lot of data in that topic before, uh, you know, they could be standing on the shoulders of giants and trying to make sense out of something and not seeing some of the the caveats and the pitfalls and whatnot. It says flawed meta-analyses in nutrition science have increasingly made the headlines by producing seemingly definitive summaries on popular topics and stirring up controversies on uh topics such as dietary fat and heart disease and i can tell you i know a lot of dietitians who they don't 
you know, they're not doctrinally trained. I'm not saying you absolutely have to be, but at the same time, you know, they're very anti-saturated fat, regardless of the the saturated fatty acid that's involved. Uh, and there is literature to support some of that. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and completely balk the lipid theory of heart disease, you know, and, and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, a lot of times there's controversial stuff, and I think it, it, a meta-analysis, it looks like it's the end-all, be-all of what we know. But just like anything else, there's there's specificity in the in the groups that you're studying, and you know, so this kind of stuff is very uh, influential. Um, in fact, uh, Harvard epidemiologist Dr. Eric uh, Feigold Ding said, "Quote: However, because of their power to drive public policy." There are often perverse incentives to distort a meta-analysis and the methods uh, in order to bias the conclusions. So again, Mike and I were just talking about how scientists are people too, and they do have some either knowledge-based pitfalls they might fall into or even biases or conflicts of interest uh, that might make it difficult to apply. Mike, you want to say anything about this? Yeah, and they actually quoted in there that there was a 2007 review of over 100 industry-funded studies and found that the funding source was significantly related to the study conclusion. Oh, oh <laughs> Which, yeah. Again, probably not <clears throat> that surprising, and obviously there's exceptions to that too. But yeah, I think that as meta-analysis, as they said, we're being pushed up to drive more public policy, then you know, there's obviously a bigger incentive for people to maybe only look at this thing or maybe not put that study in there and if you're not super well read on the topic you probably don't know that this or that study was not included in there you know so you read it and you go well this looks good looks like they had everything but if you're not familiar with the body of literature in there you wouldn't really know what's missing then right yeah no it's just like dealing with individual Mm -hmm. subjects like if i have someone who's an outlier do i include him or am I justified in removing him because he's not behaving like everybody else? His body's not responding. You know, so the yeah. the most ethical way I've dealt with that is I would present data with and without that that freak, you know, that outlier, yeah. <laughs> uh, just so people can make their own conclusions. But yeah, you can see where oftentimes research can become a little subjective or influenced because without boldface lying, you can do statistical massage in quite a few ways and and have an argument you know justifying your approach when i don't know maybe you yeah maybe you're guilty by omission sort of as you said you know you're omitting uh key data that probably should have gone into that analysis you know so and i always get and i'm not a stats person by any stretch of the imagination and a lot of times on peer review it says external stats review i usually just check yes if it's you know unless it's something basic um but i get worried when I look at a study and I'm like, oh, you could use a pretty basic stats method to do the analysis you want. And then I see some weird, complicated thing I don't understand. Uh, That makes me wonder what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, to give everybody a link here, there's actually some ways to ensure uh, meta-analyses, you know, that they're good and that sort of thing, some advice about this. You know, including original primary data, uh, published data, you know, the creation of registries uh, that monitor conflicts of interest. There's a lot of things that go into this. And and again, um, I think we've talked about this enough, but it's uh, the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. It's uh, www.hsph.harvard.edu slash nutrition source. And then you could poke around. It's a, it's a very long URL. But, yeah, it's interesting what it, some of the influences and, you know, requirements that they feel that maybe authors should have uh, when they do their uh, meta-analyses. So, And, again, we rely on this in nutrition. We rely on it in fitness. A lot of things, right? Because you kind of want to know what's the state of the art. You know, like one study is not going to change what Phil Stevens does in his gym, even if it's very intriguing. Maybe it's enough to have a, a experienced coach play with the new knowledge. You know, maybe it's uh, whatever it might be. You know, uh, high frequency training, whatever it might be. But then, 
yeah, you're not going to change everything on one study. So people go to turn to meta-analyses and systematic reviews um, as a, maybe a, you know a broader approach before you start to change your practice. And it is good. I mean, that's how it's a source of evidence. But yeah, researchers are people too, as Sagan always said. So yeah, okay. All right, let me do just a little bit of housekeeping. I was threatening, and then we'll get to our topic of the day, which is uh, hormone replacement therapy, actually androgens uh, in particular. But um, let's see. We have a long list of things here. First of all, the small thank you gifts were, in fact, sent by our intern yesterday. Uh, so people got, if you're a new supporter, you there were some mugs in there, um, little journals with Iron Radio logos and stuff like that. Um keychains, different things like that. Just a little thank you, small things to say thank you for supporting it, uh, the the podcast. Uh, there were a few people overseas, and one of the reasons that we do it the way we do, by the way, is there are companies like Zazzle that they have, you know, Zazzle Spain, Zazzle UK, Zazzle Australia, and then I, we can avoid prohibitive shipping that way, right? When you do it native in a particular country, if you're an overseas person, we do everything we can to try to make sure we get it to you. I, I, we can't afford to send you a $12 mug with a $49 shipping charge, right? So we, we have to sort of think about those sorts of things. So if you are an overseas person, uh, we had one listener from uh, Poland and you know who you are. Thank you for your support. I think we're gonna have to do a workaround. Maybe we could do some information products or digital things I can send you. Um, for, you know, supporting what we do so strongly. Um, in other news, uh, the, that funds drive is going to end in about a week. So if you do want to uh, get in on just a little bit of swag, uh, think about it in the next week. Uh, we've had uh, various supporters, right, long-term and new, uh, just to list a few of the more recent ones, Merrick, Allen, Robert, Jennifer, Neil, Andrew, and Allen. Thanks, guys. Seriously, you help keep us uh, afloat uh, so we can keep doing this. Okay, switching gears. And again, lots of housekeeping. You might have noticed on iTunes, there is another Iron Radio. Um, that's, I'm just putting this out here publicly. That's not okay with us. Um, we are looking into this. Uh, I've heard that in copyright and trademark law, uh, if you don't actually say, hey, that's not okay, and you don't challenge the person, then they can get away with it. So I'm publicly saying, listen, that's not okay. Iron Radio is something that we have prior art. We've been doing this for almost 10 years. I don't want Iron Radio listeners that are looking for unbiased, right, public-supported kinds of uh, evidence-based information. I don't want them clicking on something else and thinking that's us. That's my concern with that. So uh, be cautious uh, I would say right now, the logo that we're really focused on is a little speaker, and it says Iron Radio right across the middle. Look for that. That's us. So, um, yeah, I know Dr. Nelson was looking into that just a little bit. So we're gonna, we are going to push back on that because, again, I don't want people getting confused as to the source of Iron Radio because a lot of people count on us for that kind of evidence-based uh, info. Um, what's next? Uh, after the, the funds drive is done, our fall winter funds drive is going to wrap up in about a week, like I said. So, um, we're going to do a contest, I think, uh, we could talk about it behind the scenes as well, but something fun. We'll just probably create a, a thread on the Facebook listeners page, do like a big eats contest. It's a fun time of year to just bring on the Guinness meat pies, you know, stuff like that. So <laughs> we'll do something fun, uh, where you can send a picture or a recipe and then among the co-hosts, we could just decide which one's the best um, and then give you a, a sort of a, a, more, a little bit more substantial uh, prize for being a, a big eater. So plan now, I guess is what I'm saying. We haven't started that yet, but probably January, February, uh, we'll start thinking about some kind of big eats contest. I know that's also the time where a lot of people are going to start dieting. So consider it a last hurrah <laughs> in your big eating. Uh, so, okay, that was my list essentially of uh, housekeeping stuff let's go to break and when we come back we're going to talk about uh, testosterone replacement for lifters hey listeners this is dr lonnie lowry if you've ever had anyone critique you 
uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle. Oh, you poor meathead. All that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's an enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety, uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. I can't stop feeling Some of us don't understand How lucky we are To be living in this Hi listeners, this is Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm here to remind you that as the holiday season approaches and your thoughts turn to giving, we like you to keep Iron Rating in your thoughts. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio-type format, the show is listener-supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 a month, you become a supporting member, keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page. Or click the Donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Of course, not everyone can afford to be a supporting member or a significant one-time donor. But for those of you willing to pitch in $4 per month or $50 just once, we're about to sweeten the deal. Become a supporting member or major donor between now and January, and a limited number of you will receive a gift worth over $20. And we will never forget our existing supporters. Simply email me via ironradio.org, and I'll send you a free seminar from Dr. Lowry on how to significantly and realistically boost your testosterone levels. Help your iron brothers and sisters who cannot pitch in but deserve better internet programming in our sports. And happy holidays. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, everyone, uh, we're back. It's New Year's Eve as we record this. We're going to talk about testosterone replacement therapy. We're back from break. I just got my coffee. By the way, let me offer a plug. Um, I love those little aspirin-caffeine combination pills. <laughs> I take <laughs> one before I lift, or one or two of those. They're not loaded with caffeine. Uh, it's called Back and Body. It's just like from a dollar store, mm. um, like the Assured brand is the one I just grabbed i don't know i'm not plugging them i just um because i hate that so many things whether it's caffeinated or it has something else in it it's always got acetaminophen you can barely dodge this stuff and i think tylenol mm -hmm. and acetaminophen are way too toxic to the liver and kidneys for my liking again that's my opinion 
So I avoid that stuff. I like good old aspirin if I can. I know it's not for everybody, but aspirin and caffeine uh, and, and some ibuprofen, you know, before gym time. Very helpful. Okay. <laughs> the topic then is testosterone replacement, hormone replacement therapy, and trying to keep this specific to lifters. And I know this conversation is going to range all over the place, uh, but we can start with some pros and cons. Um. Phil, let's start with you. Uh, what are the upsides of this? And again, we can get to the negatives too, but what, what are some of the pros behind actually you know, getting some testosterone levels back up in your body if you, you think you're low or you are low? Oh, just uh, the pros would be energy again. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That was the biggest thing that I had prior um, was just a loss of drive and energy. Like you were just kind of a zombie, um, and I fought it for years. But so, and that that in and of itself too, it's not like I think people think it's going to be this magic thing. That took time, you know. It just wasn't. Oh, you're better. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Tomorrow <laughs> you're took, great. Yeah. I mean, if you're like I was, I had been fighting this for three or four years, and it took. I would say. I mean, I instantly probably felt a little better. Um, but it took a good year or so before that was totally back. Um, but uh, that and uh, muscle, you know, lean muscle, I guess you, you, it's easier to, like, I put on 15 pounds in the first month. Uh, oh, my goodness. And uh, so the doctor was like, wow, it's working great. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, getting some lean muscle back, it's, you know, it's really easy to get pretty fluffy uh, if you're extremely low. And to, let everybody know kind of where I was. I was the lowest. My doctor, my doctor was like 72 years old. Um, I was a 42. Mm, 42? Uh, on, on four different tests, the highest I came out was a 42. Holy so, crap. He was like, I've never seen anybody this low. Let me, uh, hey, let me offer, so listeners, the, the usual scale is about 300 to 1,000. <laughs> so yeah. that's so far below. Uh, some doctors are so strict, they want you to be under 250. But most of my, I would argue, around 300 on the yeah. scale. So that is really, really low. It was, yes, uh, it was low enough that we ended up and I wanted to, too. Um, and this was, I, I tried to get everybody to do. Um, cause there's a lot of them out there that say, okay, you're going on this. I was like, no, let's find out what's wrong. Why yeah, am yeah. I here? So we went through freaking uh, uh, MRIs and CAT scans and everything else to make sure there wasn't a pituitary tumor and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it left all it left us with at the end of the day after several months of going through all this test was questions, but, uh, I had no tumor. Um, basically we came out with, cause then we tried to use, we tested my LH, um, and it was plummeted. There was like nothing. Hmm. So it was like my pituitary wasn't even creating a signal to create it. So we tried that. Um, basically it came out at the end of the day. I'm primary and secondary. Yeah. Uh, so what does that mean for people oh, listening? Yeah. I have a friend who's an endocrinologist, so uh, he's done stuff like that with me too. I was dealing with crushing fatigue. So the mm-hmm. first thing he starts doing, and, and again, this is quick and dirty, but he's sort of putting his hands in, in my peripheral vision. He's like, can you see my hands? You know, Can you see over here? Can you see on the left side? He's looking for that pituitary tumor because it could mm-hmm. it can push on the optic nerve and that sort yeah. of thing. But yeah, so primary is when your, your nads themselves don't work. Your testicles themselves are not working properly and then uh secondary is off-site right so like to to phil's point again as we're talking we're talking about your pituitary sending the luteinizing hormone signal and all that right so primary or secondary yeah and if if you're both then the whole system is just shut down and you're just gonna have to your host (laughs) yeah so basically you have no choice yeah i mean there are some people out there that they might be able to get just uh, their their gonads do work and they may be able to just supplement with the, the lh you know, uh, something that would tell them to work. Um, uh, but, yeah, I mean, basically I had no choice gotcha. but to do that. And luckily I had no pituitary tumor. You know, we had my mother died of brain cancer, so that was a big thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's get in there and check. You know? Yes. So, uh, yeah, and I'd say just the fatigue and things like that. Um, it's nothing. It's, it's not. Uh, you're not going to be superhuman. You know what I'm saying? You're just going to feel good again uh i got sleep back too i had major yeah, major sleep issues that. um 
recovery. I just couldn't sleep at all. And yeah, you can recover and sleep. And like, it took a while for me to gain regular sleep back, but it came back too. You know, I uh, will. I will also so. offer this. I mean, I think a lot of people they'll go to a, a physician with crushing fatigue and think, oh, I'm low thyroid, and then the blood work comes yeah. back. If your doctor is smart and he's not completely resistant to this idea, you know, he might say or yeah. she might say, oh, well, you know, you, look, your your free testosterone or total testosterone is is below 300. You know, let's let's think about replacing that, and they can do it with gel yeah. or injections. You know, the topical gels are so popular because you could just give the medicine to the patient, then go home and use it, as opposed okay. to going into the doctor every two weeks or whatever. You know, for them to actually give you a shot. Um, but you know, one thing that I've I've heard a lot of people that were on replacement therapy, they'll talk about a lot of their creaky joints or stiff back actually improves, and that's the kind of thing I don't think I've ever seen a, a scientific paper about that. But that would make sense if all your tissues rehydrate a little bit. Maybe yeah. some of those yeah, general recovery, yeah, cartilaginous discs and, and support structures and stuff. They just they get a little juicier, a little in what in, in that sense maybe a little younger, especially if you've been running around with low T for years you know you've been foggy mentally fatigue i had one uh, i actually brought this up years ago with a family doctor and he's like no no if they're um if a patient isn't impotent then that's not their problem i'm like dude that's oh. that's so oversimplified i'm shocked at what you just said right like yeah. because generally low t is a collection of vague symptoms which is why people go uh -huh. untreated right fatigue yeah. is such a vague symptom or like you said like you're putting on central body fat and that sort of thing yeah uh, just a little at a time these signs and symptoms can be so vague and in many ways you know you said you wanted to get at the underlying cause um oftentimes the hormone itself could be the mechanism i mean i understand you're going even one level deeper than that but yeah. the tragedy i remember back in the day i knew a competitor he was a bodybuilder he 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 was he used androgens he went off cold turkey, apparently, uh, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, this was long enough ago. It was before a lot of, uh, I think, the average Joe wanted replacement therapy. Uh, he was put on an antidepressant, which actually made his body fatness worse, right? Because think about it. He, he goes from being like 4% yeah. fat and jacked and energized and, and so all of a sudden and impotent or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then now he's actually more impotent. He's fatter. <laughs> Uh, I guess with the antidepressant, the risk would be that he, then he's okay with that because he feels pretty good. He's not <laughs> depressed about it. Uh, but you, you could see that the, those are Band-Aids on a bullet wound, right? That's not treating the lack of hormone. Like to, to put someone on antidepressants and, uh, because of the crushing depression. I'm Eric Serrano, who's an MD down in the Columbus area. He once said in his practice, the biggest problem he sees with people who are former users – and then they end up with like pituitary kind of shutdown that doesn't really return. Again, secondary hypogonadism is the crushing, like the depression and fatigue and, and you know, those yeah. sorts of things. So, yeah, and I would say, yeah, I, I fought depression too. And I think it's the hardest part for mine and my doctors was I was in really good shape. Um, but this was when I was still working for Teen Nation and stuff. I, I worked really hard. <laughs> like, every meal was exactly weighed out and I was training two times a day. I'd run or I'd, I'd lift. Um, so I, I fought my ass off to be in that shape at the same time, being super tired, going to graduate school and, you know, and being low T. So, right. But, yeah. uh, uh, are we missing yes. anything, Mike? What, what are your thoughts about the pearl? If we could try to stay on the positives here. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. I mean, this, this the same thing I tell people to go back to their doc and say, well, you know, why is it low, right? Because like Phil was saying to you guys too, that a lot of physicians now are like, oh, just take testosterone. Like, oh, okay, but, you know, there's a whole bunch of things that, that could be why it was low. So either way, whatever you decide, trying to figure that out or spending some time to make sure you know or can try to figure out why it's low I think is going to be useful but you know like what phil went through that requires more work and you know physician to work with you and that kind of stuff too so i think it's i think i stole this analogy from my friend dr ben house is that you've got a fire yeah you can just put a bunch of gasoline on it and get a bigger fire but you know why was the fire low you know and maybe that's the only solution left and then, okay then that's fine yes. but you know spend a little time to figure out you know what the hell's going on right on yeah i agree because you have to realize that once you 
do that, I mean, you're doing that for life. Yeah, that was my I mean, next Or question. you're going back to feeling how you felt before. <laughs> so Right. Uh, and, you know, it could be a, a bridge over troubled water because a lot of this stuff is so interconnected. Like, if you're... If your sleep sucks, you're getting like five hours yep. of sleep a night. You're yeah. not eating, right? Uh, if alcohol is in the picture, right, dietary alcohol, ethanol, right, all these things drive down your T levels. So if you're someone who hovers right around three or 400, not getting enough sleep, drinking alcohol, not eating uh, regularly, all these things can actually drive you even lower, uh, so, yeah, that can be a real concern. And, and imagine somebody who then is low T because of their fatigue or depression or what poor sleep, whatever that just or, they're not very robust. They don't feel like eating. All of these things kind of perpetuate the problem, you know. So, yeah, I do think it could be one of those things to try to get someone back, break out of this lifestyle that's that's driving down their their T levels. Let's talk about the cons, though. Um one of the things I guess would be physical dependence, right? If if you are sleeping badly, you're not eating well, um, you're drinking alcohol too often, uh, those would be underlying things you should address because if you go on tea replacement, I, I would think that one of the risks would be that you're going to be locked into, and again, it depends if insurance covers it or not, anywhere between 15 and several hundred dollars a month because you're physically dependent on the hormone. Right. So physical dependence is something like you don't want to just say, oh, my my T levels are just like, I don't know, four or five hundred. It could have been because a lifestyle thing. And then you get on you get on the, the therapy and you end up shrinking your nads a bit. You know, you get like a induced hypogonadism. That could be a con. Right. That kind of physical dependence. And again, there's a yeah. there's going to be a real cost depending if whether or not your insurance will, will cover it. Yeah. So yeah. I always tell people if you go to your doc, ask them. If I do decide to go off at some point, what are my options? You know, and I think that's a, at least a discussion they want to have with their physician. Because I think a lot of guys think, oh, I'll just get it replaced and I'll be fine. It's like, no, you may be doing that the rest of your life. You know, it's not like, like you guys said, you can just go on and off willy nilly. You have to put a lot of time and effort to think about what you're going to do and then think, okay, if getting off is not an option for me or very difficult, it probably is going to maybe change your decision at, at that point too. Yeah. No, I agree. And I mean, another thing to think about if you're like, I was, I was young, I was 27. Oh, wow. And what we figured out was it was basically, they think it stemmed back from my accident when I was a child. Basically mm. my, my gonads got crushed. They took major trauma um, back then. And what he was thinking was, so they weren't exactly right after that. <clears throat> so, did the long story short, they weren't <laughs> they weren't exactly right after that. So my pituitary was pumping overtime to tell them to work because they weren't working very good, mm-hmm. and then they both just kind of quit. Um, but anyways, uh, have kids. You know, if you're young, that's another thing to think about. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically, I just had my son. He's two and a half years old, but we had to take measures to do that. <laughs> oh, right. I came off and took other stuff, you know, to oh, allow that to happen. God, yeah. So, right. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. It's worth noting. You know? No, you're right. That testosterone has been yeah. talked about in the past as a male form of contraception. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So it, you it, might have to take measures and what if those don't work? <laughs> right. No, <laughs> that's, that's not right. guaranteed. So that's another thing to think about. Well, let uh, me offer, uh, here's another negative that I was just thinking about when I talk about insurance companies. I read earlier in the fall that one-third of Americans stockpile medicine for insurance reasons. You know, with all the politics and who's covered and who's not going to be covered under these, some of these new laws. And um, if one-third of Americans stockpile this, you'd have to be very careful. Even something like an androgel that uh, has almost zero, to, to quote a local endocrinologist, nearly zero abuse potential. Because you'd have to bathe in the stuff to get your levels high enough to you know, to sort of mimic what you would think a bodybuilder would get, you know, who's someone who's five or 10 times the normal level, you know, you're not going to do that with the gel. Uh, But anyway, it's a scheduled medication. It's a scheduled drunk. So you can't stockpile that 
because you know you could have somebody come into your house. I, I don't know why this would happen, but they could say, "Oh no, you're you have an intent to distribute this. This is a scheduled drug." So it's actually mm -hmm. it's this weird catch twenty two. Is that you're like, well, this stuff costs me three hundred dollars a month. Um, that one point five percent androgel. That's I know it doesn't sound twice as strong as one percent, which is the typical, but it it essentially is double uh, the amount of delivered, uh, you know, um, hormone. But mm -hmm. that kind of stuff can I, I hear can go eight or nine hundred dollars a month if that, oh. I mean if you're not insured, right? Yeah. So the difference could be fifteen bucks if you're insured uh, to hundreds of dollars a month. Yeah. So it's a real issue if your insurance drops out from under you and you're physically dependent uh, because of the laws. You can't really stockpile more than you know uh, maybe a, a month or two's worth. So yeah. what are you going to do? Like you you don't want to get busted unfairly for trying to distribute something which is you're not trying to do again one out of three americans are stockpiling meds because they're afraid if they lose their insurance they can't possibly afford it mm -hmm. um it's a real really weird catch-22 and that could be a real con right because then you yeah. need the medicine just like a diabetic might need insulin you are now someone who needs a hormone but insulin isn't um scheduled with you know um the feds like yeah. testosterone so you know uh, was i think it was jim wendler once said something about it's it's a federal crime to be excess male mm -hmm. um yeah and yeah. <laughs> yeah wow and he's right it's yeah. disturbingly right so um yeah, yeah so you got to be careful with that too especially if your insurance is paying for it and, the, and then that changes and you don't you no longer have coverages uh, um i got another con it would be – I don't think it's as prevalent now. Now these these like rejuvenation places are becoming – they're even here in Kansas. So mm. uh, if they're making it here then to the Midwest, then they're becoming more uh, mainstream. But finding a doctor that uh, is knowledgeable and will work with you. Like yeah. my, first, my first doctor, even though we went through all those tests, I then had to fire him. Basically, he brought me from a 42 to a 150, and he was like, "Oh, you're great. We tripled it. We're gonna stay there." Oh. And I'm like, yeah, and I'm like, "No, we're not. I'm <laughs> half. I'm half of normal. Right. I'm half of low normal. Yeah. Fire. <laughs> I'm half of what. I'm half of what you normally put people on this stuff for. Yeah. Um. And so, and he was he was destined to. Oh, it's great. We're three times what you were before, and uh, so I had to fire him and find somebody else. Yeah, uh, it might be worth. Like, if I'm gonna do this, I want to at least get to where I'm supposed to be. <laughs> right. Yeah, at least get to normal. So, uh, it might be worth looking for a doctor who's sensitive to male issues, like men's yes. health. That, like that yes. might be more knowledge. Like I said, that one family doctor that I once talked to because I I was crushed with fatigue. I'm like, can you do some blood work? And he, you know, so he's asking me stuff like, do you, are you thirsty a lot? Are you urinating a lot? You know, he's going down the whole diabetes thing, polydipsia, yeah. polyuria. I'm like, I'm not diabetic. I appreciate that. I'm crushed with fatigue. Can you check my you know, T, my thyroid, everything, just do some panels. And because you're already drawing blood because you want to look at my, my blood lipid profile. Um, I'm like, that's not my problem. But since you're drawing the blood, can you look at these hormones? No. He said, no. Yeah. I'm like, you're already drawing the blood. Just draw another yeah. tube. And, you know, yeah. and he would, he would not. So he's yes. like, if, if you're not completely impotent, that's not your problem. And I'm like, yeah. well, Okay, but you're so you're fired, right? Just like yeah, you said, Phil. Yeah, exactly. People forget that it's your money and it's your body. Yep. And a lot of physicians can. I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't listen to your physician. Of course you should. But if they're saying something that you know to be untrue, a second opinion and going to someone who's maybe a specialist, an endocrinologist, or a men's health person, that might be be the way to go. So as long as you don't go hokey, right? Like you were saying, if things yeah. are, it's almost so overprescribed. It's the opposite of back in the eighties and nineties when no people they rather write you a prescription for an antidepressant or something and make make several yeah. things worse. Now it's almost like, well, we'll just get you on some T gel because now it's yeah. not just the lifters that want it; everybody wants everybody. it. Yes, yeah, and it's a business in itself. Yep. You know. Uh, so. Yeah, and a lot of states will allow you to run your own blood work. Obviously, the caveat is you have to, you know, show it to your physician. Um, but most states, you can go through private MD or Wellness Effects or other places, do your own uh, blood work. And that's unfortunately what I ended up having to do when I was doing my PhD. Same thing. And I, at one point, I started getting really worried. I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not, you know, permanently destroying my body in the process. And I knew my sleep was off and I was working way too much and everything that goes into it. 
went to the doc and uh, I couldn't even get him to draw a vitamin D level. I'm like, oh, I live in the God. snow tundra of Minnesota. It's like, well, I said, well, do you think my testosterone is low? He's like, bah, don't worry about it. <sighs> and so I ended up over the last four years, uh, twice, I ended up just paying out of pocket just to see, you know, because I want to make sure cholesterol, all the other markers were still good. And it was in the 200s, like both times. And, you know, I just opted at that point not to do anything with it because I knew it was all lifestyle in, imposed and, you know, deal with it <laughs> once I graduated. And right. you know, it's slowly coming back up. And then I'm actually having blood work drawn again coming up in the next uh, week or so also. So, yeah. Right. But you're a good, you're a best case scenario though, that it was a temporary thing. Like when you were lowish. Yeah. I knew it was from stress back. and I knew that yeah. at some point that, that big part of the stress was going to end, you know, yeah. and then I'll see where it's at at that point. Yeah. It's, it's good to stay monitoring, be part of your own healthcare. It's like, it echoes what you say, Mike, about like uh, people will diagnose diabetes with just one or two yeah. blood sugar sticks, little finger pricks. And you're like, but that's constantly in flux up and down. You know, yeah. so overtraining, lack of sleep, like I said, under eating, all these things can worsen your sex hormone status. You know, yep. so yeah, it, it's it's in flux. Anyway, listeners can maybe find this research, or maybe you guys know of it, but I would love to see a study that looked at like testosterone levels and just did it like every day in a row for like five days. Right, just yeah. go into the doc fast and try to reproduce that condition as as best as you can. My gut feeling is that it's way more variable than we think that it is, That'd but I haven't seen too. any direct data on that. That's fascinating. That'd be an easy study, really. Super yeah. you know? easy study to run. You could even put people through two week segments of I want you to under eat a thousand calories a day, yeah. you know, and see what and happens. Or, yeah, yeah I, I want you to have um, two glasses of wine every night, you know, that kind of thing, and just see what yeah. happens. That's really yeah. an idea. Um, okay, let's let's wrap up with expectations. So I don't want listeners coming away thinking, you know, I'm gonna get jacked, I'm mm -hmm. ripped, I'm gonna look like the cover of a magazine because I'm I'm swabbing, you know, two or three or four pumps of androgel on my arms or sides or whatever um, every night. What would be the expectations, Phil? Let's let's go with you for obvious reasons. Um, you said you gained like 15 pounds, but people need to remember mm -hmm. it's also relative. You're a bigger man, yeah. right? So a smaller so guy might, might be half that. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't even notice it. So, okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I don't know. I just, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything super out of your training. What I expect like training wise would be you actually have the drive to go do it again. Mm. Like I didn't have, mm -hmm. I had to quit forcing myself to do it. I actually wanted to do it. Um, type of thing uh you just have the energy again um is the biggest thing um okay so. yeah focus and energy it can't be under you know under emphasized probably but yeah i think the people who think they're going to change and we've discussed this on air i believe that if you're within that let's say you're between 300 and 700 like a, a typical average like bell curve of men and men do differ a lot in their testosterone concentrations from person to person for genetic reasons or because of lifestyle uh, but if you're in the in that like mid range on this give or take thousand scale um bumping it up 200 units 300 units it's not going to change your physique in such a way that you're going to feel like you're you know a a, a open competing bodybuilder on lots of stuff right yeah. so mike can you maybe offer some thoughts on that yeah like the, i wrote an article for t nation quite a while ago on this too and that the only research i could find because the question i wondered is we know that if you're hypogonadal right that getting back to normal you're probably going to see a pretty big difference and we know that athletes who use yeah. you know anabolics and are super physiologic on the other end obviously they're going to see an effect too but if you're in that, you know, 300 to 900-ish range, you know, is there any data to show that if you're 400 versus 800, is there a big difference? Um, I could only find one study, which was from uh, Bazin, I think B-H-A-S-I-N, in the mid-90s, who did a lot of the testosterone work. And they did it in humans, and they chemically castrated them for a period of time. And then 
they gave them, I think it was testosterone and anthate, and replaced them to different levels. And they had one group that was kind of sort of in the middle, and they had them on each end. They didn't really see much of a difference if you were in that sort of middle range, if you're low middle or high middle. Um, but that's the only study I've been able to find, because I think my gut feeling is that the normal range, there's there's kind of like a bigger bandwidth in there, where humans, we always want to think that everything's linear, right? If I go from 400 to 800, I've doubled my testosterone. This is going to make a massive difference. And eh, probably not. You yeah. know, I'm sure most guys, if you pull them, would you want to be closer to 800 than 400? Sure, <laughs> of course. But I don't think you're going to see, at least we haven't looked at any data that shows this, you're going to see a massive difference there. Right. If you go 800 to 1600, you're starting to get into super physiologic levels, then yeah, you're going to see a difference. You know, and the whole thing is underscored by uh, the research. I, I know Stu Phillips presents on this. I don't know if he was actually yeah. part of that study or not, but like uh, sex hormones, yeah, yeah, like acute rise and fall in sex hormones yeah. doesn't really do much to protein synthesis and muscle tissue. Nope. And that's very confusing to the average person, I think, because they're like, well, look at the guy, look at the competitors who, you know, inject super physiologic amounts. Yeah. Look how much muscle mass they have. But. Again, that's now you're in a pharmacologic range. You're not in a normal biological range, and, and chronic, right? That's, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Chronic. I mean, yeah. you can All jack somebody up to thirty thousand. <laughs> yeah, thirty thousand for a day, and it's not gonna do it. Oh, right, <laughs> right. Make them retain some water for a little while. Yeah, you know. Yeah. No, it's a good point. All right. Well, I hope everybody that again. That's some of one. our thoughts. I want to add one thing. And it's something that I tried to preach for everybody for a long time. One of the biggest things when you do, uh, when it, like if they put you on, would be finding. Then now you have the battle of finding where's right for you. Mm. So you're testing out. Okay, my T's here. Where's my E2? You know, my estrogen and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I would urge anybody when they're like 18 to 24, just go get find out where you are naturally because everybody's different. That's why that scale is from 300 to 900. Yeah. I feel I'm I'm 21 and I'm at the top of my life. I'm at 450. Then when you're 40, you know, yeah. and you're at 180, you can say, "Man, I want to get back to 450," because that's where my body naturally felt great. Um, and everybody's different. If you could go get tested when you're young, get a full panel done on everything, see where everything's at. Um, when you're at your best. And then you have a baseline to get back to when you're not at your best. You know, Phil, T.C. Luoma <laughs> once wrote an article years ago about that. He's like, get your baseline. And for the record, I think this would really need to be done by your doctor so they can go back and yeah. refer to it. Because my concern yes. would be there's definitely doctors who don't get it. And again, yes. you can, in fact, fire them if they really yeah, don't totally. get it. You can go somewhere else. Because yeah. if they want to bring you up to, like you said, Phil, oh, you're uh, up to 150 now. or. Yeah. You know, uh, you're like, I, I got you at 301. That's one <laughs> yeah. nanogram above, you know, where I have to, yes. you know, medicate you so, or, or medicate you further. So you're fine there. And a lot of them, they won't even refer back to your former levels. But if you yeah. are someone who's been, you've walked through life with 700, yes. you know, and now the doctor thinks that 301 is okay, that's really mm -hmm. not okay. Um, by national standards, by bell curve norm, population norms, you're, you know, you're legally, you're, you, you don't need replacement, but you're less than half of what you've had your whole life. Now, yes, don't get me wrong. Exactly. A lot of doctors might be uncomfortable and say, listen, when you're 19 years old, you should have testosterone dripping out of your ears. You're not that anymore. You're 48 years old. Um, let's just, let's, let's not quite get you that high. I could see that, but again, there's got to be reasonable amount. If you go through life on my brother once said, if you go through life on high test fuel, no pun intended, yeah. uh, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're being asked to run on a super economy, that's not going to work for you. You yeah, know, exactly. and so get tested yeah. every two years, even, you know, whatever. Just yeah, to get kind a of history. Track things. Medical history, yes. for sure. You know, that's good advice. So. All right. All right, fellas. See you later. See ya. Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and 
choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.